The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on, Hoopball Nation? It is Brandon Marcus here on a Friday morning as the offseason is here for the Los Angeles Clippers. The NBA Finals still going on as we record this podcast. The series is tied at two games apiece as Chris Paul's Phoenix Suns have blown a 2-0 lead and they're all tied up and Chris Paul getting crushed in the media. But us here at Hoopball Clippers... Not going to talk about the NBA Finals on this podcast. Andrew Greif, my buddy from the LA Times, is going to join us as we're going to talk about Kawhi Leonard. Yep, he has gone under the knife for a partially torn ACL. What does that mean for his future? Does that mean that he possibly will re-sign and not even play next season? We're going to get into all that with Andrew Greif, talk about what it means for the Clippers next year what it means for the contract situation and whether this means that Kawhi is more likely to stay or less likely to stay. So we'll get into all that. Also, there was some news that came out yesterday. Uh, On the last podcast, I mentioned the coaching changes with my friend Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film and how the Clippers have lost three coaches. It seems like at least one spot is going to be Brian Shaw the former Los Angeles Lakers head coach. So Tyron Lue and Brian Shaw played together on the Lakers. Brian Shaw currently the head coach of the G League elite team. So he may be one of the people on the bench for the Clippers. We'll talk about Brian Shaw a little bit with Andrew Greif. Before we get to Andrew, though, I got to tell you about our friends over at MyBookie. Everyone always asking me if I'm betting, and if so, where? And I always tell them, yes, I am, and I'm going to MyBookie.ag. The reason why I'm advocating for MyBookie.ag is because not only do they have an extremely solid reputation, they've got great contests, promotions, and odds. Whether it's odd boosts, whether it's promos, where you can go and get something with ridiculous odds, like the Clippers, for example, where they score two points in a game, and it's easy money. They want you to win money. They want you to continue to be there and make some dough. Only place I trust with NBA-related bets, NHL, Premier League, which is just around the corner, college basketball, college football, anything I want to bet on, it's at mybookie.ag. UFC, golf, everything. Also, they've got blackjack. If you want to go ahead and play some casino games, it's there as well. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. The promo code is HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to MyBookie if you want a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. And of course, if you have not been paying attention, hoop-ball.com just released an extremely special offer to those of you that currently are paying for the certain paper, whether it's the wager pass, whether it's a fantasy pass, whatever it is, it's a special thing that we have going on. It's the Hoopball Loyalty Program. Members don't have to do anything other than keep an active membership. New folks, and that could be you, if you do not have any program that you are signed up for on Hoopball, you have a couple of weeks to get on it before the prices go up. So head over to hoop-ball.com and check out the Hoopball Loyalty Program. All right, enough from me. Let's go ahead. Let's talk some clippers with my buddy, Andrew Greif. 
All right, really glad to have this guy back on the podcast. It's been a little while since I've had my buddy Andrew Greif of the LA Times on the pod to chat about the Clippers. Andrew, welcome back to the Hoopball Clippers pod. Yeah, thanks again for having me. So we're going to talk about Kawhi Leonard because it seems like that is the uh, the thing that we have to talk about right now. You wrote an article on the LA Times um, about Kawhi undergoing surgery to rep- repair a partially torn ACL. It's interesting with your article, and for those of you that don't sign up for the LA Times, it really was a good piece because it, Andrew was able to speak to a doctor because it really seems complex. I want to start with something before we get into the surgery itself and what it means for his contract situation. I'm curious to get your take on why now? Because uh, this whole thing seemed really odd to me, Andrew. First of all, he gets hurt and he's sitting on the bench with no ice or anything on his knee. Okay, so obviously you bang knees, even if it's not a torn ACL, you would think either you get some ice on it or you go to the back to get it checked out. That never happened. He sat on the bench for five minutes. Then we saw him and he didn't really have a brace on it at any point. Whenever they did show Kawhi, whether he was in a suite or he was down um, in the, I think it was in the tunnel that they showed a video of him once that he was walking around. And then to have the surgery now, when it's been a couple of weeks since the injury, that all seems odd to me. I'm curious to get your take on the timing of all this because it, it it has seemed weird since the start, ever since the injury. Obviously, it was a fluke injury, but the fact that it wasn't treated immediately and the fact that it's taken so long to have the surgery. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I probably trust the, the orthopedic surgeons and the experts in the field that I talked with. I talked to two guys. One um, works in Orange County, executive director and orthopedic surgeon, um, at the uh, Hoag Orthopedic Institute, another one, uh, T.O. Soriol, you know, he, he was a former Dallas Mavericks team physician for 22 years, and he's done, he still is an orthopedic surgeon, medical director, um, an orthopedic group in Texas Sports Medicine Clinic. Um, so he's done, he said he's looked at ACLs for like 30 years. <laughs> the other guy, Alan Byer, has looked at ACLs for about 40 years. Um, and, and so they were really valuable, and they, they didn't really understand the weight either. Um, and their point was that, you know, with ACLs, um, there's really no middle ground. It's, um, as Soriel told me, you know, a true partial ACL tear is extremely rare. He said he's seen a handful of those, um, in, you know, maybe he estimated maybe 5,000 ACLs he's looked at. And so, um, you know, if it's, if it's generally either, um, it's either torn or it's not. And so if it is torn, you have surgery. And if you don't, if it's not, if it's not compromised enough, then you can, you know, do non-surgical, you know, rehab, you know, ways to take care of it. So uh, I think that the weight, obviously we don't know from Kawhi's side of things, kind of whether he was looking at second opinions or, um, how much this was in conjunction with Clippers medical staff or, anything like that, because of course, you know, the way Kawhi operates is not to really, you know, talk about this stuff openly. Um, and then the Clippers want to protect that interest, obviously that relationship. Um, it, there's, there's kind of very few details about the thought process that got to here, but just from the surgeon side, looking from the outside in, they felt like usually these are pretty straightforward injuries that, um, that yeah, usually lead to a quick resolution one way or another. I'm glad you brought up the second opinion thing because there was a rumor that I saw floating around Twitter that apparently the Clippers, their medical staff disagreed with whatever second opinion he got. And there was a rumor, I'm not going to confirm or deny it because I have no idea. Um, it seems somewhat unlikely that this is the case, but that Kawhi went and got the surgery without telling the Clippers. 
Um, it, it, all of it has seemed weird ever since Kawhi Leonard obviously has signed with the Clippers. The one thing that you can always say is that he is going to be incredible on the court. But as a fan and as somebody that has now covered the team, quote unquote, with this podcast, one of the more frustrating things about having Kawhi Leonard on your team is you get zero transparency. You have no idea what's going on. When there's an injury to Giannis, we found out the next day, basically, what was going on with him. With this Kawhi Leonard injury, we didn't find out what was actually going on until he had surgery. I mean, there was Chris Haynes who was out there saying there's a possibility he could be back for the NBA Finals. I mean, clearly that's not the case. If he had a partially torn ACL, there's zero chance that he was able to come back. And everyone seemed uncertain about when he was actually coming back. Have you heard anything at all that this is possibly a disagreement with the team and that there was an initial diagnosis maybe from the team that was more uh, not as cautious and was less surgery um, inducive than whatever the second opinion was? No, no, I haven't heard anything either way because, again, um, it's not something that people want to talk about openly. Yeah. Um, so I can't, I can't say it didn't happen. Can't say it did happen. But um, I think that in general, you know, obviously um, the way he guards his health is throughout his career has been, um, you know, something that he guards very closely. And in in San Antonio, we saw examples in like you know directing kind of his health at the end of it, according to the reports at the time. And um, uh, you know, I think that. The Clippers have known that ever since they signed him, that this was a guy that um, they needed to give leeway to in terms of like making sure he felt comfortable. So however that turned out in this instance, I still don't know that. Um, it's, but it's a really fascinating question. And it obviously, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, if you're a team, you, you probably you look at and you think, well, you know, you make that sacrifice because of the otherworldly talent, the first team All-NBA talent that he was, that he is. So it's it's obviously a give and take, um, and most superstars have one thing or another that they won't yield on, um, whatever it is. But yeah, this is this is obviously you know um, you know not not many details of something that's been a constant throughout his career. Yeah, it doesn't. Rub, I mean, it definitely it rubs me the wrong way. The, the how this all occurred and just the timing of it, and how we had no idea what the actual injury was. Nobody knew if he was coming back, and the fact that he's just now having the surgery. I mean, it. it was frustrating to me initially when he wasn't getting it treated um, after he was just sitting on the bench. And none of that made sense to me. It's it's very odd. And it, it makes you wonder, is all this worth it? Is it all worth it to have this lack of transparency? Is it worth it to have a guy get low managed the entire season and then have that risk of possibly getting hurt in the postseason? It's interesting question that I think the Clippers are going to have to figure out because they did a great job with Blake Griffin. They knew when to get rid of him. Um, Kawhi Leonard, obviously, you sacrificed everything. All the picks you sacrificed. You got PG by trading away SGA and Gallo. I mean, Kawhi is a guy. The, the guys like Kawhi don't come on to the open market via trade, via free agency, very often. And the fact the Clippers were able to get him, you kind of got to do whatever you can to keep him, but at the same time, it's difficult. So that's why I want to now bring up the contract situation. So you mentioned the article that back in, I believe, December it was, when he was healthy, he said it makes sense financially for him to opt out and then to re-sign a max deal wherever he goes. What happens now with his contract situation? Because if the Clippers do end up signing him to the max, if he does opt out, you're basically signing him possibly for a year that he doesn't play. And the question is, does that make sense? Because obviously PG is re-signed. 
Um, but it just seems like you're going to be paying a lot of money for a guy that is now 30 years old that may not play next season. I mean, who knows what the timeline is because you said a partial tear in your article. You said, I think it's even just a couple of handfuls of maybe less times that someone's actually seen a partial tear. So for the contract situation, what do you think the Clippers do now? Because it seems like they're really in a tough position. Well, I don't think it's just the Clippers, but I think any of his suitors this summer will pay him yeah. um, whatever the full amount of time and, and, and value that he, that he wants, you know, and, and whatever the max is for a amount of years, I think that he comes to whatever team and says, I will commit to this. I think someone's going to clearly pay that because, um, you know, I think that Kevin Durant is this kind of irresistible example, an injury in Achilles that is probably more severe. Um, I know that Kawhi has a, you know, a longer maybe history of, of leg injuries, uh, lower body injuries, I should say, throughout his career that maybe makes some people a little skittish. Um, but, you know, that, that Achilles, when you turn 30, as, as Kevin Durant was when it happened in the finals, I mean, that's like a really scary injury. And you saw the way he bounced back from that this year. You can't project one recovery to be just the same as the second person's because everyone's body is different and the injury is different. Um, but I think that you've already seen the, the kind of the test case where teams are going to line up and say for a certain caliber of player. Um, yes, we will commit that because, you know, on, on the off chance that, uh, that you, um, you know, you, you, you make the preemptive strike and say, you know, we just don't think it's worth it. And then that guy comes back and plays at an, you know, all-star level, like, like a Kevin Durant. Um, I mean, there's, it's not a good look, you know, it kind of has leave you with some egg on your face. I think, um, you'd, you'd open yourself up to second guessing clearly, so I think that it's kind of teams are going to be in this rock and a hard place where, yeah, you're just going to basically be committing a ton of money, um, uh, a huge number of your, of your 35%, most likely of your salary cap um, to this one guy next year. But, um, you know, he's proven that he's bounced back from injury before from San Antonio to Toronto and looked excellent. Um, now he's older, of course, but could he do the same? It would be, clearly will probably be motivation there for him to not let his career kind of end like this. So you'd think that there'd be some quite a bit of motivation for him to come back strong. So, yeah, I, I don't doubt that um, many teams would, would love to do exactly that next year and pay him a ton of money to rehab and, and be around and, um, you know, come back potentially stronger the next year. The unique part with the Clippers is that their roster is so old. I mean, you look at the ages of their roster. I went over it with Justin Wilson last week, and it really is crazy to see that everyone is basically 32 or older. Um, on, on Half that roster seems like it's 32 or older. And then Kawhi obviously just turned 30. You get him back at 31 um, if he does miss next season. And you wonder at what point, I mean, it feels like you have to do it because of all the assets that you trade away to get Kawhi. Um, if you didn't do that, it feels like it, it could be one of those that you say, you know what, it may not be worth it. But it certainly feels like this is something the Clippers have to do just add necessity because of all the draft picks that they trade to OKC and with the talent that they gave OKC to get PG. D does it feel that way to you as well that this is something that even though the Clippers maybe maybe wary of him coming back at full strength and that they don't really want to deal with the injury possibility and him maybe missing next year with an older roster, that it's still something that they pretty much have to do? 
I, I do. I think that they'd like to very much to continue that relationship. Um, it's clearly uh, they haven't gotten what they wanted out of it. You know, Steve Ballmer didn't green light um, all those picks being sent out and uh, spending all this money to get to a Western Conference Finals as in a lot of ways for the fan base, exhilarating as it was and unprecedented for the franchise. You know, there's he said it himself that, that when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were introduced that July day in 2019, you know, this it's all about the Larry OB. So they haven't gotten as far as they want, but I don't think that means that they, uh, they don't want to continue a relationship. I think wariness would be understandable, obviously. I mean, I wrote this a couple different times um, that you look at the way um, championship teams are assembled with their two leading scores. It's very uncommon in recent history for two for a championship team to have its two leading scores be 30 or older. I, I kind of look back through the history, and since 1999, um, really only three teams have done it. The 08 Celtics, the 11 Mavericks, and the 14 San Antonio Spurs. Now, there have been some times when, like, yeah, the 18 Golden State Warriors, Durant was 29, and Curry was 29. Um, there's some instances like that, but by and large, um, you know, there, there's not two guys who are 30 or above. So it's already sort of this precarious um, I guess doesn't always happen that that teams are built this way. Um, I still think that, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, maybe if, if the can is kicked all the way down the road into 2022, 2023, I think that's a pretty good combination potentially. Um, but yeah, you have to realize like, do you stick with that old older core of two players? Do you build around, do you try to rejuggle the, the roster around them to get everyone younger around them? Basically just keep those two guys being the older ones. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting and really difficult position for the Clippers to be in um, because, you know, it's they, like you said, they put themselves in this, in this spot where to even get here, they had to give up so much. Um, so I don't think it's like a sunk cost and they, they like they just move on. That's some cost fallacy. Well, you can just cut your bait and move on. I, I really do think that this is about um, two all NBA talents that they have, and and whatever their confidence is in them going forward, I guess that'll be will, that'll be borne out and what they what the moves they make. But also, I think there's also a bigger picture thing about the kind of signals they make to future all NBA type players who are free agents. Um, you know, like. They, the way they kind of um, they traded out Blake Griffin was like, you know, obviously extremely smart for the front office to do that at the time. Clearly, um, it, it, it set up everything that happened to get them to this point. Um, if you do that a second time, if you like re-sign a guy um, and trade him or you just kind of decline it after you did so much to get him, like, does that put a bad taste in a future like top free agent's mind? You know, I don't I don't know. I think it's still L.A. I think the Clippers have still done. Uh, a hell of a job, like kind of changing the the way the, the conversation is around the franchise. But I still think you want to be seen as a place that not only brings your stars in, but takes care of them once they're there. And even if that means taking a gamble on their contract, um, if there's some health questions, I think that, you know, big picture, like super big picture, there is probably something to be said about like wanting to show again that you will like be that destination where everything is about the player and taking care of the superstar. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it feels like it's a very tight window that the Clippers are currently working with. And you look at, obviously, at the NBA Finals this year, and you can only kick yourself because if the Clippers stay healthy, they're the favorites. I mean, they probably win the NBA Finals if they stay healthy. And you bring up an interesting point about future free agents. And I think the tough part about this is 
that if you do re-sign Kawhi, which I think is probably more likely than not, I'd probably put it about 85% that Kawhi Leonard comes back to the Clippers, that if they don't succeed that first year that Kawhi is healthy, that then it gets turned on PG and that he's probably the one that possibly gets traded because it's not working out. And I think that's kind of unfair because even going into this year, during the season, I mean, you can even look to the Dallas series when they were down to nothing initially. There were people that were saying PG needs to get traded. And what could they get for PG to pair with Kawhi Leonard? And that's the thing about Kawhi is that you, when you do re-sign him, you put yourself into a tough spot, Andrew, where it feels like you're building around him and you're not building around the other Max guy in PG. And that if Kawhi doesn't come back healthy and he's not the same guy or it doesn't work out, then it falls on PG. Isn't that a strange narrative to have to work with? I guess so. I didn't really thought about it that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the only one team wins a title every year. Yeah. So there's statistically more chances that, you know, um, uh, that it doesn't work out the way they want to than it, than it does, just because of, you know, how, how hard it is to win a title, how much luck you have to have. As we saw this year, they had all the talent. They had the pieces gelling. They had Reggie Jackson playing out of his mind. Nico um, Batum, like, having this resurrection season as well. And it, and it still didn't work, you know, because of these injuries. So you have to be have that combination of lucky and good. So I think that you you have to wrestle with, you know, the idea that statistically, you know, it's it, it's really hard to make all these grand plans um, as good as they were in 2019, as, as many championships people caught, probably thought were in their future. Um, there's a big chance that they don't wind up with one at all. Um, you know, this was a real window. The last two years were a real window to do it, and it didn't happen for a variety of reasons. So I think that's really hard. And, and so you're, where that blame gets laid is going to be in a lot of different places if that were to happen. But uh, I, guess, I guess personally, just on the front of PG, I think that you really, I mean, there was so much, I mean, we're going into like a season preview podcast once and talking about, you know, where the pressure lay this year and it was all on pg in a lot of ways you know yeah. like reputationally um and, and he I, I just think that he came out of this um with a with, with an excellent season you know like I, I think that you can't really right now maybe in the future people can lay the blame um there like you're talking about um but i think right now he really did a lot to you know kind of again show what the minutes he played and the production he had in those key games i'm thinking you know, game five in Utah being one of the most incredible games. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen, I remember even the cabbie taking me to the arena was like, no way the Clippers win tonight. You know, Paul George can't do it. And he did it. So I think he's done a lot to kind of reclaim um, a lot of trust in terms of the way he can shoulder. Even Marcus Morris said that, you know, he said that like everyone was devastated. Kawhi wasn't there, but he felt like he was really happy that Paul George had a, ch- a chance to really put a team on his shoulders and show what he could do. Yeah, and he was great. Uh, I mean, there are certainly some frustrations with some of the shooting nights he had, but then you look at it and you take a step back after you're not involved in the fandom of a season. And you say, look, look at the amount of pressure he had. Look at how much he had to shoulder. I mean, the guy was doing everything and he was barely sitting and the legs clearly were shot towards the end of that series. And you don't blame him with how much he had to do. So uh, you look at what he did even towards the end of that series, and it was still incredibly impressive, the amount of rebounds he was able to pull down. Because frankly, rebounds don't come to you if you stay flat-footed. I mean, most of the time, you got to get up there and you got to show some aggressive um, nature going through bodies and jumping up, and he did that. So all the credit to him. One question we haven't really, I mean, I guess, completely attacked is, what's the timeline, do you think, for Kawhi? 
When do you think he comes back? Because in your article, obviously, it says that the partial tear is something that they rarely see. And this is another thing, Andrew, that after surgery happens, nine times out of 10 with a team, you hear he's out for six to eight months. You get a strict timeline after. Instead, we get a press release that said he got hurt. And I mean, he had surgery. We get nothing in terms of the timeline. We have no idea if he's going to be back in three months, he's going to be back in nine months, in one year. It's another thing that's sketchy when you have P, uh, Kawhi is you don't know what the future holds. So do we have any idea at all of what the timeline looks like? Well, I mean, I think that's for a reason was that, you know, the gold standard of an ACL surgery, according to the surgeons, um, you know, is, is the full reconstruction, which is about nine to 12 months. Some people have done it like Adrian Peterson remains the early end of that, uh, even all these years later with his recovery. I mean, that was like a freakish recovery. That's, that's, you know, an outlier. Nine, 12 months is typically what people talk about. Um, but you know, we don't know again, if this was a full reconstruction, if this was, which is by far and away the most common and has the most data behind it for recoveries. Uh, people come back all the time, stronger, better. It's, you know, that's what happens uh, with a partial. If, if it's any sort of different type of, if it's not a full reconstruction, the surgeons were describing how there are some sort of newer methods that some people, um, you know, that, that are out there that were kind of re- require buttressing the remaining fi- fibers that are, that are basically strong enough or deemed healthy enough with some sort of, bridge that maybe you know you they uh, newer fibers can be regrown around it and so it kind of stabilizes it they basically said that there's it's that stuff is really rare and it doesn't really it's there's really not much of a thing called partial acl surgery if you were to like just do a a, a half measure and try to re- keep what's there and and build around it um keep what's there in terms of like the healthy strands of the acl and and you know try to whether it's regrowing or something else, put something in there to kind of buttress it. So they don't really know, you know, like they, they, got, they basically were wary of giving a timeline. These people who've done ACLs for decades, because, um, you know, we just don't know what the third, the exact surgery was. And we don't know Kawhi's timeline, you know, like you can have a typical ACL uh, reconstruction, you know, sort of the window, right. But, every athlete is different too and how they react is different and how they feel about their decision-making. Um, so we just, you know, so I, I can see it honestly from a team perspective of um, you don't want to put undue pressure and have people questioning why someone isn't playing if the timeline they put out in a press release um, isn't being met, you know? And so this sort of takes a little bit of that away. If in nine months we can't point to it and say, Hey, this, you know, this, this, you know, you guys had said maybe six to nine months or nine to 12 months was sort of the timeline here. What's, what's going on. So I, I think that that's one of the reasons, um, where again, the lack of details comes into play too. So I, th- what I will say this, whether it's sort of this experimental partial surgery, what the surgeons described, or it's the full reconstruction, they both felt like there's probably not much of a difference. Yeah. As one surgeon said, buyer said, you don't do this. You don't do a partial ACL surgery, um, but one of those like, you know, temporary, like, uh, you know, you take what's there and try to build around it. You don't do that to get him back quicker. You would only do that because you don't want to take, you know, a part of the body, um, you know, from maybe from the hamstring or the patella tendon to make a full reconstruction. You know? So 
it's it's really not about a timeline. You know, a part when you hear partial ACL surgery, you shouldn't think, oh, good, that takes a few months off the timeline. It's generally not what they say would ever happen. Interesting. Yeah, that's the part that I was kind of curious about. Was it does the partial ACL tear? Does that surgery mean that he's going to be out for less time? And what you're saying is possibly not. And it's it seems dicey. It seems to do a partial ACL reconstruct uh, tear, partial ACL surgery rather. That it seems like you're kind of putting a bandaid on it, and that if you don't do the full reconstructive thing, you risk possibly re-injury down the line. So it, it definitely seems dicey to do a partial. A, yeah, and we don't know what he did in terms of yeah. full reconstruct or a partial. When do you think we'll know? In, gen- in general, yeah. When you- um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly truly don't know. I mean, I think that before the draft, I would expect that um, some of the team principals might talk sort of like the, the common pre-draft um, press availability. But um, even in a setting like that, I'm not sure if, um, you know, we would really – uh, be given full details. So I truly, I truly do not know um, when kind of the timeline would be apparent uh, ahead of time. And we may, we might not never know. Yeah. And listen, we may know in three weeks if Kawhi Leonard decides to resign somewhere else, we may get some truth to that rumor that there was a disagreement and that might be part of the reason why he does decide to leave. And I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but if Kawhi does leave, does that mean that they would have the money to sign a max guy Um whether down the road or this season, I'm not sure how the salary cap works. Um, that's one of those things that because I've had the, uh, the luxury of being off for a few days, uh, before this, I, <laughs> uh, I need to check in on that. Okay. To be frank with you. Uh, I, yeah. you know, they, they do, I don't believe this is bird rights for him. So I don't think they could, um, I, I feel bad uh, being so wishy-washy right now. I no, don't feel bad. You're not a salary cap expert, so I was just curious because it's I was I don't even know it either, and I've, I've looked at the contracts and tried to figure it out. I have no idea how it works. I mean, if it, for someone that's curious, Lucas Hahn, by the way, does a great job on Twitter with that kind of stuff. So um, he's someone that might know. So let's talk coaching because the Clippers lost three assistant coaches, and it seems like they're on the verge of replacing at least one of them with a former Laker in Brian Shaw. Um, what do we know about that? And do we think that the other coaches, um, whoever it is, the next two that do end up joining Ty Lue's staff, does that happen sooner rather than later in the next couple of days, probably so they can get everything in order before the draft? Um, I don't think that you necessarily have to have it in order before the draft. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think cause, cause usually the summer league coaching staff is different than the, um, than the full coaching staff, you know, they, they can, while usually it's some player development people and maybe one of the assistants who runs it, uh, there's some, sometimes there's some different voices who come into and sort of like guest coach. So I, I don't think it's time dependent on that. Um, well, Brian Shaw, I, I don't know how close it is, but I, you know, I, I think that he's, I guess the way I'd put it is, you know, he's interviewed. Um, I don't, I don't know if, um, you know, how, how close they are in terms of the status of, of signing it, but, uh, I think that from what I've heard, they are definitely interviewing um, some other folks as well. I don't want to put out um, another name because I just haven't totally confirmed it yet. But um, but yeah, I think that they're going through their their due diligence. Um, you know, it's a good thing. I, it's it probably it's hard for people to see your staff get rated, um, but I think it's a good thing when people in general are trying to hire off your staff. Because clearly, you've done the right thing. People want to pluck you away. So I think that I can understand the feeling of frustration from Clippers fans that, you know, oh no, here go these people. Um, but we don't, I, I think that that's a compliment in the coaching world, clearly. 
So, and, and also Kenny Atkinson has not been announced as going to Golden State yet. So uh, I don't really have any information in terms of um, if that's being, if that's not happening or not, but I just think that um, it hasn't been fully announced. It, it was looking likely as though that would be the case, but it, that's still not yet official. Yeah, you might as well go and bring in Mark Madsen. You know, you can uh, get the, the group back together from that Lakers team with Madsen and Ty Lue and Brian Shaw. Um, maybe Slava Medvedenko wants to uh, join the crew as well. So it's interesting that you get the, a former Laker as your head coach and then a possible uh, former Laker as your, I'm assuming Brian Shaw would be the lead assistant um, if that did happen since he is a former head coach and still is um, a G League head coach. So it'll be interesting, obviously, to watch that. And we'll be talking about it throughout the offseason. Before I let you go, give me a good story from the road because you finally got a chance to travel to uh, some of these playoff games. Give me a good story. What was the best place to visit? Anything crazy happened while you were uh, either in Dallas, Phoenix, or uh, in, oh, God, goodness gracious. Um, yeah, we're, we're, Utah? Um, I played pickleball for an hour with Dan Wakey, my colleague in Phoenix, nice. at like 11 a.m., and it was about 105 degrees. And, you know, as much water as we were chugging, I almost wilted uh, pretty hard at, at the end of that one. I was definitely had to cut myself off. I could have played for another hour, but I was I made the reasonable decision to to go back to the hotel room and just um, down as much water as possible before that night's game. I think that was game two because it was it was uh, I was had not been in that heat for a long time, and I and I I love pickleball, so I definitely was um, enjoying it until I realized this is probably not a good idea. I should, I should go hydrate. Um, I think it was just interesting being on the road and seeing the different places and how open places were and, um, you know, contrast to Los Angeles, which obviously has been for a long time, one of the more strict, um, you know, locales with local regulations, which I applaud personally, because yeah. I think that obviously we saw what, how horrible the winter was here. Um, but you know, to go to Dallas and to be covering games in an empty staple center, which, you know, maybe had a couple thousand fans at the end of the season and maybe 4,000, maybe 6,000. And there were the cardboard cutouts to walk into Dallas for that game three and have 19,000 fans there, um, you know, top to bottom, all full, except for a couple rows behind the benches was, was pretty remarkable. It was like, it felt at once, um, like cathartic, like I'm glad we're in a place where. I guess we can do this and feel somewhat comfortable, um, or at least the, the league thinks it's somewhat comfortable to do this. Um, and also, it also just felt like, whoa, I can't believe we're doing this in, in other ways, you know? So it was, it was a really interesting experience where I, um, the game was good enough that it took me, it didn't make me think about it very much, but it was a, yeah, it was a, just being back out there and seeing like a, a typical road trip for the most part, you know, you're at the airport, you're at the hotel, um, you know, the, the exceptions being that I would pick up my food. Um, you know, I wouldn't go in and like, you know, eat. Um, it was just, it was just really interesting to, after going from nine months off the road to back on and having things be, you know, full arenas, um, sidewalks full. Um, it was, it was, it was jarring. It felt nice. It felt a little scary. It was, it was just weird. Um, after so much time at home. Yeah, it was bizarre. I was at game three, um, of the, Goodness gracious, of the Utah series. No, not the Utah series. The Phoenix series, um, I believe it was, and where the Clippers won. And just to be in a place that's packed like that was just so crazy. Um, but it's cool that you're able to get on the road because I know how hard it is to cover a team via Zoom. And so finally being able to actually 
be somewhat close to the coaches when you're able to ask those questions is certainly beneficial. Andrew, always appreciate you giving us the time. Um, hope you have a fantastic summer. We'll obviously be in touch throughout the summer um, into next season. And a, a big thank you from me to you for always jumping on and being so great on this podcast. You're one of my favorite guys to have on. Always easy to schedule you as well. So uh, just a big thank you for you taking the time and always joining the pod. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's uh, It was nice to talk to in the Phoenix series, some guys in person finally, and it'll be nice to see, see other people like yourself in person, you know, next season as well, hopefully. So I'd love to do something like that. Anything to promote before you go? Um, just that motorcycle club that's apparently outside my window. Um, <laughs> uh, no, nothing right now. I mean, I'm sort of in this mode where I'm just working on some things uh, that'll be a little more long range stories as we head up to the draft and whatnot. So nothing immediate, but I appreciate you talking about my story with the surgeons because I, I felt like I learned um, from that story too. And so I hope readers did as well. Yeah. You get a lot of stories about the actual injury, but to go and actually talk to people and find out what it's like, that was huge. So it was great to read that. And there'll be more stuff to come and what will be a very important draft for the Clippers because it's the really the last time they have their own pick without the possibility of it getting swapped or uh, taken away. So a big thank you, Andrew. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Big thank you to Andrew Greif. Always great on this pod. Love having him on. Go ahead, read his work at the LA Times. And of course, I got to tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. Folks, if you have not gotten the Lawmower 4.0, what are you waiting for? Manscaped ups your grooming game to the highest degree. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. That's the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping. Not only is the Lawmower 4.0 just tremendous because it's a great trimmer. But why is it a great trimmer? It has that cutting edge ceramic blade, reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. If you're traveling, it's a perfect trimmer for home and on the go. Upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage in a travel walk. Also, you can turn on that 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave. And of course, it's waterproof. You can use it in the shower, a tremendous battery as well. So whether it's a gift for you or for somebody else, go ahead, get Manscaped. 20% off and free shipping with code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. So we'll be around, no doubt about that. We saw the news, obviously, with Kawhi Leonard, knew we had to have a podcast, and of course, Brian Shaw. So try and go once a week, like I said, as we break down news leading up to the draft and free agency. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please go ahead, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review as well in the iTunes store. I appreciate it. For everyone that has listened to this podcast, always a big thank you to you. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. The Twitter handle for the podcast is HootBallClips. Until next time, have a great weekend, everybody, and go Clips! This has been a HootBall presentation.